Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Yesterday we began studying business practices with biblical principles. And today we're studying where the danger lies. Let's begin with prayer. Dear Jesus, help us to understand the connection between the 10th commandment and the first. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So the Ten Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. And the Bible tells us that covetousness is idolatry. And idolatry is as witchcraft. And the First Commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the love of money is a god before God. And so that connects the First Commandment and the Tenth. So it's just like a giant circle. And the Fourth Commandment is where there's a breach in the law. But today we're going to study where the danger lies. Let's begin by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It's not money itself. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. He that loveth silver shall not prosper. Proverbs 28, verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. He that hasteth to be rich has an evil eye. Let's read in Testimonies, volume 4, page 351, a couple paragraphs. You should be one thing or the other. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Choose you this day whom you will serve. God will not accept your labors in the tract and missionary work while you are scheming to advantage yourself. You are in danger of counting gain as godliness. The tempter will present flattering inducements before you to fascinate you and allure you on to indulge a spirit of scheming which will kill your spirituality. This is counsel to Brother G. Now, we didn't read the first part of this letter, just a couple paragraphs here. The world, angels, and men look upon you as a sharper, as a man who, in studying his own interest and securing advantages to himself without looking carefully and conscientiously after the interest of those with whom he deals. In your business life, there is a vein of dishonesty that tarnishes the soul and dwarfs religious experience and growth in grace. You are watching with keen business eye the best chance to secure a bargain. This scheming propensity 
has become second nature with you, and you do not see and realize the evil of encouraging it. Business which you may engage in fairly and squarely, advantaging others as well as yourself, would be all right, so far as dealing honorably is concerned, but the Lord would have accepted your service and used your powers, your keen perceptions in securing the salvation of souls. Had you been sanctified through the truth, the desire of the eye in the love of gain has warred against the spirit. The habits and cultures of yours have left their deforming impress upon your character and have been disqualifying you for God's work. You have a constant longing desire to traffic. If sanctified to the service of God, this would make you an earnest, persevering laborer for the Master. But abused as it has been, it has endangered your own soul, and others also are in danger of being lost through your influence. Let's go to Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. He that is greedy of gain troubles his own house. Back to Testimonies, Volume 4. Let's go to page 37. I was shown that Brother B has not a high sense of the perfection of character necessary to a Christian. He has not a proper sense of his duty to his fellow men. He's in danger of advancing his own interests. If an opportunity presents, irrespective of his neighbor's advantage or loss, he regards his own prosperity as exceedingly important, but is not interested in the fortune or misfortune of his neighbors, as a follower of Christ should be, for a trifling advantage to himself. Satan can allure him from his integrity. This darkens his own soul and brings darkness upon the church. All this, says Satan, shall be yours if you will depart from strict integrity. All this will I give you if you will only please me in this or do and say that. And too often has Brother B been deceived by the adversary to his own hurt and the darkening of other minds. First Timothy six verse nine. <laughs> Goodness, that one was going to make me turn every single page. All right, First Timothy 6, verse 9. Um, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful um, lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. They that will be rich fall into temptations and snares and hurtful lusts. 
Let's not let riches, being rich, to be a goal for our lives. Turn with me to Psalm 62, verse 10. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Don't set your heart on riches if they increase. Let's go to Testimonies, Volume 3, page 403. Alright, let's see. But money, when they begin to... Oh, sorry. But many, when they begin to gather earthly riches, commence to calculate how long it will be before they can be in possession of a certain sum. In their anxiety to amass wealth for themselves, they fail to become rich toward God. Their benevolence does not keep pace with their accumulation. As their passion for riches increases, their affections are bound up with their treasure. The increase of their property strengthens the eager desire for more until some consider that their giving to the Lord a tenth is a severe and unjust tax. Inspiration has said, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Many have said, if I were as rich as such and such, I would multiply my gifts to the treasury of God. I would do nothing else with my wealth but use it for the advancement of the cause of God. God has tested some of these by giving them riches, but with the riches come the fiercer temptation, and their benevolence was far less than in the days of their poverty. A grasping desire for greater riches absorbed their minds and hearts and they committed idolatry. There it is, connecting um, the Tenth Commandment with the First. Covetousness for riches leads to idolatry. Yeah. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich glory in his riches. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. There's never enough, is there? Proverbs eleven twenty eight. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. He that trusts in his riches shall fall. Oh, I didn't read the right one. Okay, 1128. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And I think partly that might mean that um, how the righteous flourish as a branch is you realize you have enough. And you are content and flourish. Anxiety is what causes too much cortisol, right? Etc. And so forth down that long trail. So don't trust in your riches. Be like the righteous. Be content and flourish. Let's go to Mark chapter 10 verse 24.
And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's hard for them that trust in riches to enter heaven. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. That's interesting. Okay, I can't follow that trail. Let's see. Never forget, it's God that gives power to get wealth. Let's read in Testimonies, Volume 2, 278 and part of 279. I was then shown that a way was opened for you to improve your condition in life, and at length to obtain the means which you had thought you would use with wisdom and to the glory of God. How anxiously did your ministering angel watch the new trial to see how you would stand the test. As means came into your hand, I saw you gradually and almost imperceptibly separating from God. The means entrusted to you were expended for your own convenience to surround yourself with the good things of this life. I saw the angels looking upon you with yearning sadness, their faces half averted, loath to leave you, yet their presence was not perceived by you, and your course was pursued without reference to your angel guard. The business and cares of your new position claimed your time and attention, and your duty to God was not considered. Jesus had purchased you by his own blood. You were not your own. Your time, your strength, and the means you handled all belonged to your Redeemer. He had been your constant friend, your strength and support when every other friend had proven a broken reed. You have repaid the love and bounty of God with ingratitude and forgetfulness. Your only safety was an implicit trust in Christ your Savior. There was no safety for you away from the cross. How weak human strength seemed in this instance. Oh, how evident that there is no real strength, but that which God imparts to those who trust in him. One petition offered up to God in faith has more power than a wealth of human intellect. In your prosperity, you did not carry out the resolves you had made in adversity. The deceitfulness of riches turned you from your purpose. Cares increased upon you. Your influence became extended. As the afflicted realized relief from suffering, they glorified you, and you learned to love praise from the lips of poor mortals. You were in a popular city and thought it necessary for the success of your business, as well as to retain your influence for your surroundings to be somewhat in accordance with your business. But you carried things too far. You were swayed too much by the opinions and judgments of others. You expended means needlessly, only to gratify the lust of the eye and the pride of life. You forgot that you were handling your Lord's money. When means were expended by you, which would only encourage vanity, you did not consider that the recording angel was making a record which you would blush to meet again. Said the angel, pointing to you, you glorified yourself, but did not magnify me. You even gloried in the act, fact that it was in your power to purchase 
these things. Okay, that's pretty scary. Isn't it? How easily we can fall from our resolve. Hosea chapter 2, verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Oh, isn't that sad? Jesus provided everything for them, and then they offered them to Baal. Those that trust in riches forget that God increases wealth. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. You can just see it flying away. Riches may fly away. Haggai 1, 6 through 9. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house it's waste, and you run everyone into his own house. So they weren't building God's house, they were building their own house. And uh, God can scatter them if they're not used for his glory. Testimonies, Volume 2, pages 281 and part of 282. Your son's wife caused you trial. This is, once again, a letter of counsel to a brother. Your son's wife caused you trials of a peculiar, aggravating character, which had considerable to do in discouraging you from continuing family devotions. Your house became a prayerless house. Your business was made primary, and the Lord and his truth were made secondary. Look back to the days of your early experience. Would these trials then have driven you from family prayer? Here, in the neglect of vocal prayer, you lost an influence in your house, which you could have retained. It was your duty to acknowledge God in your family, irrespective of consequences. Your petitions should have been offered to God morning and evening. You should have been as priest of the household, confessing your sins and the sins of your children. Had you been faithful, God, who had been your guide, would not have left you to your own wisdom. Means were expended needlessly for show. Over this sin and others you had felt deeply grieved. And while thus using means, you were robbing God. Then the Lord said, I will scatter, I will permit her for a time to walk in the way of her own choosing. I will blind judgment and remove wisdom. I will show her that her strength is weakness and her wisdom is foolishness. I will humble her and open her eyes to see how far 
she has departed from me. If she will not then turn unto me with her whole heart, and in all her ways acknowledge me, my hand shall scatter, and the pride of the mother and of the children shall be brought down, and poverty shall again be their lot. My name shall be exalted, the loftiness of man shall be brought down, and the pride of man shall be laid low. The above view was given December 25, 1855, or 65, in the city of Rochester, New York. Last June I was shown that the Lord was dealing with you in love, that he now invited you to turn to him that you might live. I was shown that for years you have felt that you were in a backslidden state. If you had been consecrated to God, you might have done a good and great work in letting your light shine to others. To everyone there is given a work to do for the Master. To each of his servants are committed special gifts or talents. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several abilities. Every servant has some trust for which he is responsible, and the very trusts are proportioned to our varied capabilities. In dispensing his gifts, God has not dealt with partiality. He has distributed the talents according to the known powers of his servants, and he expects corresponding returns. In your earlier experience, the Lord imparted to you talents of influence, but did not give you talents of means, and therefore did not expect you, in your poverty, to bestow that which you had not to give. Like the widow, you did give what you could, although had you considered your own circumstances, you would have felt excused from doing even as much as you did. In your sickness, God did not require from you that active energy of which disease had deprived you. Though you were restricted in your influence and in your means, yet God accepted your efforts to do good and to advance his cause according to what you had, not according to what you had not. The Lord does not despise the humblest offering bestowed with readiness and sincerity. So God can scatter people's means if they're not used for his glory. And it sounds like they did for, it looks, sounds like a woman he did for her. She had been impoverished and he blessed her with means. And she began to get involved in the world and covetousness, didn't she? And that's sad. All right. First Samuel chapter two, verse seven. We're getting very close to the end here. First Samuel chapter two, verse seven. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. Proverbs 22, verse 2. Proverbs 22, verse 2. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. And he does it out of tender love, for he knows who can manage that gift. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. That is our last reference for the morning. 
me summarize really quickly what we have read. The love of money is the root of all evil. He that loves silver shall not prosper. He that hasteth to be rich has an evil eye. He that is greedy of gain will trouble his own house. They that will be rich fall into temptation and snares and hurtful lusts. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. He that trusts in his riches shall fall. It's hard for them that trust in riches to enter heaven. Never forget that it is God that gives the power to get wealth. Those that trust in riches forget that God increases wealth. Riches may fly away. God can scatter them if they're not used for his glory. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. The rich and poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. All right. There's some things to think about there, isn't there? First of all, that it's okay not to have a lot of things. It's okay to be able to be content with what you have and not long for things that we don't have. To pray to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, I have enough. I am content. There is no sin in having having a lot, though, is there? As long as we keep everything in proper perspective. Let's close with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for the blessings that you have given us, for the gifts you've given us, and the ability to earn wealth so that we have something to share. Please help us to be a blessing to our neighbors, to our family, and to those in need. Pray in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, tomorrow morning I see that I have one more study on business practices titled God Honors the Rich and the Poor. So being poor does not mean that God is not honoring you, does it? Have a wonderful day. I'll see you in the morning.